Hey, Forge family. When last we were together on the podcast, Saul, king of Israel, was going to war with the Philistines. Now, while he can muster 200,000 foot soldiers, he's facing an enemy that is technologically advanced. They come riding up on 30,000 chariots, plus 6,000 cavalry mounted on horses, and there's a multitude of foot soldiers behind them. Most of Israel's fighters took one look, and then they rushed to hide in caves, cliffs, thickets, cellars, and pits. Some showed up in Gilgal with Saul. But then they looked at the military realities of their position in Gilgal and began to tremble with fear. Little by little, that fighting force began to slip away and leave Saul alone in Gilgal. Now, as Saul saw his army dwindling, he was waiting on Samuel. But Samuel did not come in the appointed seven days. In a desperate move, Saul sent for the burnt offerings and offered them up on the altar himself. And when he stepped back and turned around, there was Samuel right there in his face saying, What have you done? And when Saul answered, and he was nearly out of excuses, Saul throws in the fact that he had not had a consult with the Lord regarding war with the Philistines. <sighs> Samuel calls it what it is, folly, and tells Saul his days as king are numbered. The Lord has already chosen his successor. The desire of God to give Saul a legacy has been trash-canned because Saul's disobedience to the commands of the Lord. Given... <clears throat> There are plain lessons to see in the choices and outcomes of Saul. Now, I took us in a different direction regarding spiritual warfare. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and he settles down on defiled sections of life. In people, in neighborhoods, in cities, in regions, and in nations. I prayed for you and for me this week regarding the cleansing of any of that defiled but tolerated stuff in our lives. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, the God who forgives and cleanses by the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we need you. We would bow before you and obey you. Keep cleansing our ways in Jesus' name. All right, Forge family, before we begin episode number 10 of the life of Samuel, I'm going to ask you to just to sit quietly. Uh, maybe lay aside any Saul-like reactions from your day. And take to yourselves the desire to be a man, a woman, after the Lord's own heart. And if you have to, if you have to reach over and hit pause, that's fine. Just give it a moment to do that. And when you unpause, you know, grab your notebooks, your Bible, coffee, whatever it is that helps you get ready for 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now, I can, I can hear the double takes. See, we are zooming out here. Okay, the passage of 1 Samuel 13, verse 15, where we ended last, last podcast, carries through to the end of chapter 14, verse 52. And it deals with the Philistine strategies, the introduction of Jonathan, the, the son of Saul, as a man who calls on the Lord 
the ineffective leadership of Saul, and the rout of the Philistine armies by the Lord God. Now, note, Saul still has not consulted with Samuel about the Lord's ways to do battle. So, beginning in verse 1, chapter 15, okay, the Lord places Samuel up in Saul's grill again. Let's read verses 1 to 3 of chapter 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Listen to the sounds of his words. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Okay, this is amazing. You know, the Lord of hosts. Okay, it's speaking here. I will punish Amalek. For what he did to Israel, now he set himself, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Period. Now, forward family, who is this Amalek? And what did he do to Israel in the journey up from Egypt? Okay, so um, the Amalekites had a king. And the title, it was probably a title. Agag was, was the consistent title that's put over the king of the Amalekites. So the Agag of the time of Samuel is not the Agag of the time of the Exodus. All right? 400 years before. It's a title that was passed down. And the Amalekites were those who attacked Israel 400 years before at Rephidim. Now, Rephidim was a no-account place. Near as we can tell, if it had a meaning in the name, it's gone in the mists of time. Rephidim is in proximity to the base of Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, in the, at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula. And it is desert. Rephidim is no oasis. Okay, And so here come two and a half million Israelites and their flocks and herds, and they arrive in Rephidim, and there's no water. It's, there's no springs. And they've been walking in the, de- in the desert, and they are desperate for water. They begin by first hurling accus- accusations at Moses. You brought us out here to die. That Exodus 17 records that Moses turns to the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they may stone me. So it was really fiery, threatening, invective that the people of Israel had thrown at Moses, having seen miracles, having seen God provide for them. But they were thirsty and they didn't care. The Lord gives Moses instructions to pass through the camp with some of the elders carrying the rod of God with Moses, that with which Moses had divided the sea so that the people could walk across dry land. And after they passed through the camp, they were to come to a specific rock. And then the Lord said, you strike that rock with the the rod, and from it will gush forth water. And Moses did, and it did. There was enough water that poured forth to satisfy the needs of two and a half million people and their flocks and herds. That's a lot of water. Moses turns and names that place Test and quarrel. 
because the people had tested the Lord. Now that's shaky ground. That, it was at that precise moment with all the people on their belly sucking up water. You see, after it, when you have been deprived of water, okay, you don't just take a little bit and sip it. You start belly down, sucking it up, and you begin to bloat. And, and you're probably sicker after you've had water than you were when you were thirsty. Okay, it is at that precise moment that Esau's grandson, Amalek, okay, this, this, this man descended from, Amalek, you know, descended from Esau's grandson. Hey, he comes with the Amalekites and they strike the rear of the march of Israel. And it was in that place that there were the elderly and the children and the weary, and the most thirsty. Okay, In the ensuing fight, Moses directs Joshua to lead the battle, and he, Moses, would lift his arms to heaven on their behalf. <clears throat> now, when Moses lifted his arms, the, the Israeli fighters under Joshua prevailed. But as his arms tired and wearied, and his arms came down, then Amalek's forces began to win the battle. Quickly, <clears throat> Aaron and Hur set Moses on a rock and they each lifted his arms to the heaven so that Israel prevailed and decimated all the Amalekites with the sword. Now I want to read Exodus 17 verse 14. Okay, this is what happens after the battle. Okay? It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial. And recite it to Joshua. Put it in his ear. That I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. Yahweh Nisi. God is my banner. Okay? And he said, The Lord has sworn the Lord will war against Amalek from generation to generation. So the Lord has put on notice in, a, in written form and in oral history that the day is coming when the memory of Amalek will be, an, will be wiped away. In Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 and 19, this is what it says. This is, this is Deuteronomy. This is the second statement of the law. This is, is whole new generations that's rising to come or enter into the land and Moses starts all over again and he gives them the law again and he says remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came up from Egypt how he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary and he did not fear God therefore it shall come about that when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. And the Lord promises that Amalek will one day be erased. Samuel has just told Saul that today, today, the Lord's promise regarding Amalek is to be fulfilled. And Saul is God's agent to accomplish it. Now, the original Agag 
if you will, the original Am of uh, the original Amalek, okay, was Esau's grandson. And he and those who followed him chose to live in the land of Edom. All right, so that's the land that is southeast of the Dead Sea. And it is, you know, down through even south of the Midianite lands there. And it's part of western Saudi Arabia, bounded on the east by mountains of, and deserts, and on the west by the Red Sea. That places Amalek about a 400-mile march south of Gibeah, where Saul was. And Saul and his army are going to march a long way. In verse 5, Saul's forces arrive close to the city of Amalek and prepare an ambush in the valley where the Amalekites live. Now, it is amazing to me that Saul could move his foot soldiers hundreds of miles south, probably on the western side of the Dead Sea to avoid any contact with Ammon and Moab, those warlike peoples that lived on the eastern side of the, of the Dead Sea. Okay? Many people groups lived in that desert, in the Negev, or they had caravan routes through there. It was, it was not a waste place. It was, it was a busy place. And yet Saul arrives at Amalek secretly and quietly. All right, that's God. Verse 6, Saul addresses the Kenites. Okay, they're, they're a people group living in proximity to the Amalekites and sends them away, lest the attack on Amalek include the innocent Kenites. Now, they were a people group who had descended from Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses. His descendants scouted the way through the Sinai for the tribes of Israel. And it was Jethro who instructed Moses to select elders in the tribes to help judge the people. The Lord had blessed the Kenites. And here Saul warns them to flee. And here's a whole people group, the Kenites, with their tents, and everything they own, and their flocks and herds that move silently and swiftly away from an unwary group of Amalekites. That too is God. Verse 7, Saul defeats the Amalekites from the mountains of the Arabic, uh, of, of, of Arabia, excuse me, from the mountains of Arabia to the shores of the Red Sea. The text says from Havilah to Shur. He captures Agag alive, but killed all the, uh, all the people, all the, quali the poor quality livestock, destroying all the despised and worthless stuff. But when you get to verse 9, it says, Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, oxen, fatlings, and lambs. Verse 10. The word of the Lord then comes to Samuel. And the Lord says to Samuel in Ramah, Ah, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commandments. And Samuel was distressed. The Hebrew word is karech. That means to burn and to be kindled with anger. And he cried out to the Lord all night long for the sake of Saul. He's really bent out of shape at Saul. Excuse me. Verse 12. Samuel rises early the next morning, and waiting for him is a report 
that Saul has set up a monument to himself after the battle with Amalek and is now sort of positioned himself in Gilgal. So let's read verses 13 to 21. Just this is, this is the account of the confrontation between Samuel and Saul. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I've carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said, Well, uh, they were brought... They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we've utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait, let me tell you what the Lord said to you, to me last night. Samuel said, Saul said, Okay, speak, tell me, what what is it? And Samuel said, Is it true that you were little in your own eyes? And you were made the head of the tribes of Israel. And the Lord anointed you, king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they were exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, Well, I, I... I did obey the voice of the Lord, and, and I went on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and was brought, and I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But, but the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. <sighs> Three times. In verses 15, 21, and 24, Saul says, It was the people who selected the best of the livestock to offer to Samuel's God, to the Lord your God, Samuel. Verse 9 says it was Saul and the people who were not willing to destroy all as the Lord had commanded. So Saul's got himself caught in a lie here. And in verse 19, Samuel charges Saul with having rushed upon the spoil of battle. In the natural, Saul and his army had done a long desert march, and they had annihilated the common Amalekite people. And then they came upon the booty, excellent livestock, and other beautiful stuff. You see, but that beautiful stuff was cherein. It was under the ban. It was devoted. Okay? That's the same word, cherein. That's, that's the same word that was used in Josh, by Joshua when he instructed his warriors prior to the battle of Jericho where he said, you're going in there and don't you touch that stuff. It's under the ban. It's, it is set apart for destruction. When the Lord says, don't touch that, don't do it. Now we saw in chapter 13 that the people were scattering from Saul's army And here in verse 15, Saul again puts the blame on the people. Verse 22, chapter 15, here is one of the great summary statements. Great summary statements in the Hebrew scripture. Let's read verses 22 and 23. This is what Samuel says. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices 
as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is an iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Okay. Synonyms for divination are prophecy, prediction, fortune-telling, divining, soothsaying, augury. That's just a word that means, you know, you have a priest that daughters in there and takes an animal, sacrifices it, splits it open, and looks at its, it looks at its liver or its heart or its kidneys to decide, oh, this is a, a good sign. This is healthy or this is diseased, you know, to try and foretell the future. There's clairvoyance and there's second sight. All the above terms deal with the issue of control, which is the heart of witchcraft. Samuel lays the charge of rebellion and insubordination at the feet of Saul, saying that obedience is the critical lapse in Saul's soul. All right, let's read chapter uh, 15, verses 20, starting verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, Well, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your, and your words, because I feared the people and listened to your voice, to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from king over Israel. Now Samuel turned to go. Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore away. So Samuel turned to him and said, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. And also, quote, The glory of Israel, unquote, will not lie or change his mind. It could be also translated the eminence of Israel. For he is not a man that he should change his mind. Then he said, and then Saul said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of the people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back following Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. (coughs) Excuse me. See, Saul starts out by explaining his sin. See, it's not a conviction, not a confession. He's not convicted, okay? He's not owning his own sin. And for the fourth time, Saul puts it on the people, stating that he indeed had sinned and transgressed God's command because he feared the people and listened to their voice rather than God. Verse 25, Saul asks Samuel to pardon his sin. Well, That reveals that Saul has no relationship with God whatsoever. He doesn't know how pardon takes place. Okay? I mean, he's just absolutely either ignorant or or waywardly just willfully saying, shortcut here is, Samuel, you can pardon this. He wants Samuel to help him save face so he can come with him to worship the Lord. Samuel refuses. He says, you've rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Samuel turns to leave 
But Saul snatches the edge of his robe and it tears away. You know, it's this sound. Okay? There's a prophetic sign for you. And Samuel's response turns back, he turns back and says, This day the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you and given it to your neighbor who's better than you. And also, interesting, adds this on, the glory of Israel, the eminence of Israel, will not lie or change his mind. This one, Saul, is now set in stone. This is the first time this title of divinity is used of Yahweh in the Old Testament. Verse 30, Saul repents a little bit. Okay, I, I have sinned. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, I've sinned. Please honor me before the elders of the people and go back with me to worship the Lord your God. This is the third time in this chapter that Samuel puts the Lord as your God, Samuel. Paren, not mine. Close paren. Even after having the Lord come upon him twice in mighty ways, once to prophesy and wants to call up the army to rescue Jabesh Gilead. Here's a man who has tasted of the Spirit, but who has not chosen to receive and walk in the Spirit of God. And here's the crux of the matter. Saul needed Samuel to help him save face in front of the people. He needed the approval of men, not God. Samuel went back with him so that Saul could be seen worshiping God. In verse 32, you see there's some unfinished business. Samuel says, bring me Agag. And Agag came to him in fetters. He was bound. And the New American Standard Bible translates the word in bonds, if you will, as Agag coming cheerfully, thinking, surely the bitterness of death is past. Samuel has already done what he wanted to do with Saul, and I'm walking out of here free. Samuel informs him that even as your sword, Agag, and that of Amalek 400 years before has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hews Agag into pieces with a sword. Completing the judgment of God on Amalek. And the chapter ends this way. Then Samuel went to Ramah, but Saul went up to his house at Gibeah. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. For Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted he had made Saul king over Israel. All right, family. How had Saul started out? Samuel said, you were small in your own eyes. Saul came to the kingdom unconfident, untested. But he passed the first few tests. Now, having not consulted with Yahweh about going to war with the Philistines, not having let, now having led his army to destroy Amalek, he thought of himself in a much higher fashion. Success breeds pride. And pride says, I'll do this my way. Pride says, I can help myself to whatever I want or fancy. Pride says, what I did was good enough. Pride says, I will erect a monument to my victory. Pride says, I will, I did all that you asked. 
even when that's not true. Now, I'm sure you could come up with another page, maybe more, of what pride says. Now, even when Samuel confronts Saul that he has dismissed God, has disdained God's commands and his words, has utterly rejected God's rule over him, even then, Saul is more concerned about what the people think of him and badgers Samuel to make him look good in front of the elders of Israel. So, family, when you run into a Saul in your sphere of influence, recognize that he will not listen, even when confronted. Leave the Saul's of life to the Lord God and choose to obey the Lord, knowing that what God says will come to pass. He will bring it to pass. Finally, the word grieved in verse 35 means to mourn or to lament as if a death had occurred. Samuel grieved over the collapse of Saul. And that word brackets chapter 15, verse 35, and chapter 16, verse 1. It ties them together. Samuel stayed in mourning until the Lord orders him out of it. We all have something to grieve our longings, our own raw stuck places, okay? our long time unanswered prayers, our longing for God's answers to his promises. But hear this, to continue to serve the Lord, to continue to be his woman or his man, you must be ready to obey at the instant of his call. Do not ever allow yourself to grumble with the Lord's timing or quibble with his ways. Do not tiptoe up towards rebellion or insubordination. So, rehearse to yourself the faithfulness of God, even in your place of grief. Rehearse to yourself your love and honor of him who saved you, even in your mourning, and prepare yourself for his direction. It's almost like having a go-bag packed and ready to move on demand. Yours is filled with God's promises. All right, let's pray. Glory of Israel, Almighty One. These Old Testament accounts are difficult. But you, Lord, have made a way forward for your people. Now, They are so ready for the introduction of the man after God's own heart, but 16 to 20 more years of Saul remain. You never stop working, Lord. You keep gathering the ones who obey you and would follow you. We want to be in that line of obedience and action to words from you. Open our ears to hear. Open our eyes to see. We want to hear your voice. We want to see your work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge family. God bless you. You're loved. We'll see you soon.